Well, last week we began a, a new sermon series through the book of Jonah, and we looked at the, the kind of exciting intro to Jonah, first chapter. And let me just remind you that Jonah is a story about God's mercy. We're, we're calling this series God's Scandalous Mercy. Uh, Jonah himself was scandalized by God's desire to extend mercy to Israel's enemies. And we considered, we reflected on the shocking nature of, of God's mercy, that he is wonderfully and surprisingly a merciful God, but sometimes that throws us for, for a loop because he extends mercy to people that we might not want to extend mercy to. Well, today, as we look at the second chapter, we're going to see that God's mercy is not all unicorns and butterflies. It has teeth. And C.S. Lewis called it a severe mercy. And some of you, you, you know what Lewis means. Uh, you've gone through difficult things, painful experiences, maybe circumstances that you never would have chosen for yourself, but then later on, on the other side of the pain, uh, you're able to look back and you see that, that God did something you didn't expect. And so now in hindsight, as difficult as those things were, you, you can see his hand of mercy at work. And that's Jonah's experience here in chapter 2. Uh, in his case, his painful circumstances are the direct consequence of his own rebellion. In a sense, he got himself into this mess. Um, and you remember in chapter 1, he tries to run from God. God says, go to Nineveh, preach. And Jonah runs the opposite direction, gets on a ship headed for Tarshish on the other side of the world. And, and by the end of chapter 1, um, Jonah, and we kind of left him there last time, Jonah is sinking to the bottom of the sea, and then a, a great fish swallows him up. But this watery ordeal that, that Jonah endured, it turned out to be a severe mercy. And so we're going to consider that together this morning. I want to read the text for you. Uh, it's printed there in your bulletin. I, I had Robin include the, the final verse of chapter 1. I, I want to read chapter 1, verse 17 through the end of chapter 2. This is God's word. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look, I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. 
Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And then verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Well, let me pray for us. Our God and Father, we come to your word this morning eager to hear you address us through the scriptures. Would you work in us today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to look at Jonah's prayer here first, and then we'll consider a couple applications. I said this last week, the end of chapter one sounds like the end of the story. And if you weren't familiar with Jonah, you might think that it was. I mean, a giant fish swallows this man. And we don't know exactly what kind of creature this was, some kind of sea creature, maybe a whale. And Jonah spends three days and three nights in the belly of this fish. And, you know, it's, it's not exactly the kind of ocean cruise anyone would choose for themselves. And it looks like God's judgment has fallen on the rebellious prophet. But as it turns out, this fish is a vehicle of God's mercy. This fish becomes an agent of salvation, God's means for rescuing Jonah. And now, we tend to get distracted by the fish. You know, is, is this really even possible? Um, you know, are there whales with throats large enough to swallow a human being? Uh, would there be enough oxygen in the fish's belly for someone to survive uh, three days, three nights? Those questions and, and that kind of fixation on the fish, it, it distracts from the real point. You know, like I said last week, the fish is not the thing. <laughs> Jonah's not a story about a man and a fish. Uh, what, what's really important here in chapter 2 is what happens inside of Jonah, inside the belly of the fish. Uh, something amazing takes place within Jonah during this sojourn in the fish's belly. And we see it right there in, in verse 1 of chapter 2. Jonah prays. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. <laughs> you remember chapter 1. Prayerless Jonah. You know, the pagan sailors pray to their gods. They even pray to Yahweh. Um, all throughout, Jonah refuses to pray. Jonah opts for a nap rather than pray. And so this prayer here in chapter 2, it's, it's really a significant moment in the story. It's a turning point in many ways for Jonah. And it's really a, a beautiful prayer. Uh, much of it should sound familiar to you if you know the Psalms. Jonah quotes a number of lines from the Psalter. Apparently, he was a man steeped in Israel's scriptures. And in his moment of desperation and need, the, the, the word of God just comes out of him as he prays. And it's a, it's a prayer of thanksgiving. Jonah offers thanksgiving to the Lord for this uh, amazing deliverance. And, and verse 2 is really the opening summary of the prayer. And Jonah here in, uh, in verse 2, he reflects back on what happened in the sea. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Finally, 
two chapters in, we hear Jonah speak. <laughs> we finally, uh, he, he instructed the sailors, you know, in chapter 1 to throw him overboard. But here he's speaking to the Lord. This cry for help. And notice he says, he cried from the belly of Sheol. <laughs> Very just vivid phrase. Uh, Sheol in the Old Testament being the realm of the dead. You know, just a, a place of darkness, a place um, that's far from God. And Jonah has been on a downward trajectory. You know, chapter 1, he goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the ship. He goes down into the ship's hold. And now, as he's reflecting on what happened in the waters, in the waters, he's descending to the threshold of death's door, really. And in the next movement of the prayer... He describes that journey down to the bottom in verses 3 to 6. He, he says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And, and you get this picture here of, of Jonah just flailing in, in the wind and the waves, um, fighting to keep his head above water. Um, you know, if I think about all the different ways one could die, um, drowning has got to be, you know, top five <laughs> worst ways to die. I had a little brush with drowning once while uh, surfing some big waves around the age of 15. And, and that feeling of helplessness, uh, it's terrifying. Uh, it, it kept me out of the water for a few weeks. And... Jonah here is desperate, and notice he's speaking to God in this prayer. He says, you cast me into the deep. It was your waves, your billows that, that crashed over me. Now, in the story, it's the sailors, right, that throw him overboard, um, just as he asked them to do. But here Jonah recognizes God's hand in all of this. Uh, he, he has a moment of spiritual insight that God is at work through these circumstances. And he goes on in verse 4, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. And so Jonah, drowning Jonah, Jonah sinking in the waters, he has this sense of just being banished from God's presence. Now, that's kind of what he wanted, right? <laughs> you know, he, he tried to run from God and get away from God. And, and now that he's experienced it, now that he's gotten a little taste of what that could be like, he, he changes his mind. <laughs> he doesn't want it any longer. And he, he says here that he, he looked toward the temple, meaning he prayed. He prayed to the Lord. He prays for rescue. And then as he goes on in the prayer, he, he continues to sink he says, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And we, we get this picture here with the language Jonah uses um, of being enclosed, surrounded, the image of, of being entangled in the, in the seaweed. It, it's like he's being wrapped in grave clothes and prepared for burial. A watery burial in a watery tomb. And, and he, as he says here, he finally hits the bottom. The, the ocean floor where the, the bases of the mountains were located. He is, 
he has gotten as far down <laughs> as one can go. And he uses more of that uh, Sheol imagery. You know, in, in the Old Testament, uh, Sheol is pictured as a, a city or, or thought to be a city on, on the ocean floor or even below it. And, and once the city gates were closed and the bars lowered, that's it. <laughs> There's no getting out. And Jonah says, I'm there at the bottom. I went down and the bars are closing upon me forever. He thinks this is, he's done for. And so for Jonah at this moment, um, for him, all hope is lost. Uh, He can't sink any further. And in his mind, he's as good as dead. And then the end of verse six, a, a turning point. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. And here he's talking about being swallowed up by the fish. <laughs> you know, he's there at the bottom of the ocean, and this fish comes along and scoops him up. God used the fish to rescue Jonah. God heard Jonah's desperate prayer out of his distress. And now in the remainder of the prayer, verses 7 to 9, um, Jonah is on a new trajectory now. You know, in the first part, the first movement, he's descending down to the depths. Now in this second part, it's really an, an ascent from death, so to speak, or the verge of death, back to life. And he says, when my life was fainting away, verse 7, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And so it wasn't until Jonah hit rock bottom and realized that he was utterly helpless, that his thoughts turned toward the Lord. And I'm sure many of you have stories like this in your own experience. You know, the the Lord let you sink. He brought you to the end of yourself so you'd turn to him for help. And here, Jonah remembers the Lord. He prays. It is really interesting. He prays, in a sense, from the gates of Sheol, as far away from the presence of the Lord as as you could get. And and God hears. God, in his temple on Mount Zion, hears Jonah's prayer from the depths. And, And now, Jonah, inside this fish's belly, which I imagine is not a very pleasant experience, um, he seems to be a different man. Verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. He declares that trusting in idols, it's a a dead end, doesn't lead to life. And then he goes on in verse 9, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I will pay. And so Jonah here, in in response to God's mercy, um, he promises to perform acts of thanksgiving and praise you know, just a, a fitting response to this rescue uh, that the Lord had accomplished for him. And then he ends the prayer with a very powerful confession of faith. Maybe um, a, a key statement in the book, salvation belongs to the Lord. And so it seems like Jonah has kind of changed his tune you know, in chapter 1, he wanted, to li- he wanted to limit the scope of God's mercy. You know, no, no mercy for those wicked Ninevites, our enemies. Don't, don't show them mercy. And now he says, look, salvation, it, it belongs to the Lord. Meaning, salvation is the Lord's to bestow 
whenever and to whomever he sees fit. Uh, Very uh, just amazing statement from Jonah's lips. And so this prayer here in chapter 2 is kind of a turning point in the story. Jonah's not running any longer. And beginning in chapter 3, God renews Jonah's commission to Nineveh. It begins with the same words that chapter 1 began with. We'll look at that um, next week. And Jonah goes and he preaches. And so it seems like this is a, 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 new, a new trajectory for Jonah. A good trajectory, right? But do you remember I said last week, Jonah's a complicated character, And his prayer sounds good. And it is in many ways. There's a number of things he says here that are are true and good. But there are some key things missing. And I don't know if you noticed this as we read through the prayer. Um, There's no confession of sin. (laughs) I mean, the reason Jonah is in this situation is because he rebelled against the Lord, right? Right? And the prayer simply focuses on the the difficult circumstances, you know, and he even acknowledges, yes, God's sovereign hand is involved in this distress, but he doesn't mention the fact that he got himself into this mess. And and I've seen this, you know, a a number of times with wayward Christians, you know, and, and they're suffering the consequences of their sins. And they come to a point where they say, look, I I realize God's in this, but that's all it is. They say, well, God's just putting me through, you know, a trial. And and they see themselves, in a sense, as as righteous Job, not disobedient Jonah. And and so our our capacity for self-deception is frightening. And I think Jonah might be a bit self-deceived here. Um, So there's no confession of sin uh, what about his emphasis on his own piety? Did you, did you see that in the prayer? Um, could it be that Jonah's perspective here is a little distorted? Yes, he acknowledges Yahweh's rescue there at the end of verse 6. But it's just this brief little mention. You, you brought my life up from the pit. And then he moves quickly to the fact that he remembered the Lord. <laughs> Most of the time in Scripture... The, the emphasis is put on the fact that God remembers his people, that God keeps his covenant. When Israel was in Egypt suffering under the hand of Pharaoh, God heard, God saw, God remembered. Um, here Jonah says, look, I remembered you, Lord, my life. You know, I, it was just about, I was about to be snuffed out, but I remembered you. And, and I prayed a prayer that spanned the gulf from Sheol to Mount Zion. I mean, my prayer, it just traveled, you know, so quickly and, uh, to your temple. And even the, the, the praise part and the promises, you know, he contrasts himself with idol worshipers. Uh, he's not like them. You know, their, their false worship prevents them from experiencing Yahweh's steadfast love, Jonah here, here says he's different. Now, when Jonah talks about idol worshipers, who is he talking about? <laughs> we met some idol worshipers in chapter 1, right? The sailors. Um, maybe he has them in mind. You know, they cried out to their false gods in the storm, and Jonah's thinking, I'm not like them. Um, I'm a faithful worshiper of the true God. 
and, and I will offer sacrifices and vows to this God. Now, you got to see the irony here. Um, Jonah couldn't have known this because he was already in the waters, but those sailors, after Yahweh calms the storm, they do exactly that. They offer sacrifices and make vows. <laughs> Jonah couldn't have known that, but it seems here that there's still a considerable amount of pride left in Jonah. Maybe a bit of self-righteousness. And perhaps his repentance needs to go deeper. And I think the events of chapters 3 and 4 will make that clearer. And so all of that, that the kind of shortcomings of his prayer, it makes the final scene here in chapter 2 so appropriate. The Lord spoke to the fish... And um, you know, I was reading, somebody said, well, what did the Lord say to the fish? We aren't told. <laughs> but I think we know. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out <laughs> upon the dry land. You know, uh, this could have gone a different way. The fish could have simply, you know, opened its mouth, and Jonah disembarks from the belly of, of the fish. But instead, it, it vomits him out. It's a humbling rescue for Jonah. Maybe, maybe the Lord's little indication here that, hey, Jonah, <laughs> yes, I'm showing you mercy, but it's not because you're such a great you know, uh, prophet. Um, the Lord maybe has a bit of a, a sense of humor or, or an appreciation for irony here. So why is this prayer here in the book of Jonah? And, and what are we meant to take away from it? And I want to think with you about two things, God's severe mercy and God's faithful mercy. So first, God's severe mercy. I think most of us would prefer that God's mercy always look the same. You know, that mercy means that I'm spared from painful experiences. But Scripture is clear that God's mercy doesn't always mean a comfortable life. Um, Jonah's case here, sometimes God lets us experience the consequences of our sins. Um, in other cases, you know, other people inflict pain on us and God uses that hurt redemptively. You know, you think of the story of Joseph in, in the book of Genesis. Or sometimes life is just hard. There's no one to blame. Life is just difficult and you don't know why and so this idea that God's mercy doesn't necessarily mean sparing us from painful things it is that's hard to accept you know we wish that God would do things differently less less pain you know a little less of that more ease you know did Jonah want to hang out in the belly of Sheol no he wanted to go to Tarshish Tarshish did he need to hang out in the belly of Sheol? Yes, he did. Uh, that whole watery ordeal taught Jonah things, that lessons that he wouldn't have learned otherwise. And God could have let Jonah have what he wanted, right? God didn't need to do all this. He could have just let Jonah run. No storm, no, no brush with death, no fish. Just smooth sailing all the way to Tarshish. But that would not have been merciful, that would not have been kind of God to give Jonah what he wanted. Um, C.S. Lewis called pain God's megaphone. So that God, God shouts to us in our pain 
to get our attention. Now, that's not to say that the God of the Bible is some sadistic being. He doesn't enjoy inflicting pain on human beings. Um, I I think it's safe to say if there was a less painful way for God to get through to Jonah, he would have done it. But the Lord knows sometimes there's no other way. Um, God will bring us to the bottom. (laughs) He'll let us hit rock bottom and reach the end of ourselves so we cry out for help. It's severe mercy. And in this, we see it in the story of Jonah, God brought life out of death. And it, it seems to be the way God likes to do things. You know, it's right at the, the heart of the gospel that we believe that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has unleashed resurrection life into the world. And, and he does it in a million smaller ways too, bringing life out of death. You know, we as followers of Christ, we, we experience many deaths, many resurrections. Um, sometimes it's daily, you know, disappointments, losses, frustrated plans, situations that just feel like death. And maybe that's where some of you are at today. You, you feel like you're Jonah in the belly of Sheol. And there's no way out. And you can't imagine how this could even remotely be good for you. And maybe you suspect one of two things. Um, You've messed up one too many times and God has had enough of you. And so he's given you over to his judgment. Or God's just forgotten you. You know, he doesn't care. You don't matter to him. And both of those conclusions are wrong. Jonah could have easily reached those conclusions, but the the truth is God was there. God had not forgotten Jonah. God wasn't done with Jonah. And and I don't know specifically why you today might be in the belly of Sheol, but, but there's some things I do know. God brings life out of death. God wounds in order to heal. He he uses the pain to conform us to the image of His Son. You see, God has a bigger purpose for us than just making life comfortable. He's he's molding and shaping us into new people in Christ. And sometimes His severe mercy is the only way to accomplish that. And so, you have a choice if you find yourself in in a situation like this. You, You can harden your heart. You can become angry and bitter toward God. You can turn away from Him or you can cry out to Him. And this might be the only time you hear me say, be like Jonah. (laughs) You know, when Jonah was at his lowest, he cried out to the Lord, trust God's severe mercy. Trust God's severe mercy. I also want to consider God's faithful mercy. His faithful mercy. Jonah is a, very, is a person with very fickle faith. You know, uh, he runs from God in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he praises God. In chapter 3, he complies with God's instructions. In chapter 4, he chews out God. <laughs> he's just all over the place. He's complicated, like I said. And even his prayer here, it's a mixed bag. <laughs> Sounds good sometimes, and then other times you're thinking, Jonah, you're a little focused on yourself and not the, the Lord who rescued you. You see, Jonah's not a hero. 
Uh, we're, we're so accustomed to looking at the characters of the Bible as heroes, people to emulate. Jonah is not one of them. And, and maybe you wonder why God would include someone like Jonah in Scripture. And I think part of the answer to that question is Jonah is a very relatable character. You know, each of us can probably see parts of ourselves in Jonah. You know, you, you go through seasons where you're full of joy, praise just flows easily from your lips, you're, you're eager to obey God, eager to be used by God, and then there's other seasons where um, you're just full of doubt and um, confusion, you know, discouragement, maybe anger with God, obedience feels like a, a, an unbearable burden, um, showing up here on Sundays is just this big internal battle and you get here and you look around at all the people who seem to be so happy and, and they love to sing and they love to hear God's word and you think, Man, is my faith even real? Welcome to the Christian life. People like Jonah are in the Bible to teach us that God is faithful even when we are not. You know, as, as rotten as Jonah is, and, and we're going to see he's even rotten, more rotten than we've seen so far. As rotten as he is, God continues to reach out to him in mercy. God continues to pursue this man all throughout the story, right through the very end. And, and you know, there's others like Jonah in the Bible. I, I think of Peter in the New Testament. He's kind of like the, the New Testament Jonah, this, this man with flaws and makes so many mistakes. And I, I love that scene at the end of John's gospel. Maybe you, you remember this. Uh, Jesus, the risen Jesus, pulls Peter aside. And, and this is Peter, you know the story, who denied Jesus. Peter who abandoned Jesus in Jesus' moment of greatest need who just showed himself to be such a faithless friend, such a coward, a man who, who breaks his word, who can't show any, it seems, any um, bit of courage at all. And what does Jesus do? He welcomes Peter back. And he restores Peter. And, and even, in a sense, recommissions Peter for kingdom service. It's just faithful mercy. And our relationship with God, it doesn't rest on our faithfulness. Yes, thank God. It does not rest on our faithful obedience. It rests on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And Paul says in 2 Timothy 2 that if we are faithless, you know, I had to read this verse over again several times this last week just to make sure, does it really say what, what I think it says? And it does. It's simple. If we are faithless, he, that is Jesus, remains faithful. If we are faithless, Jesus remains faithful. In other words, to us, for he cannot deny himself. Wow, he remains faithful. See, that is our confidence. You know, my faith, my faithfulness wavers. Christ's is constant. 
And just as Jesus could say to Peter, you know, Satan, he's asked for you. He wants to rip you to shreds. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Our risen Savior is at the right hand of God praying for us that our faith would not fail. He faithfully upholds us and sustains us. His faithful mercy is our confidence. And so God's severe mercy that we see here in, in Jonah chapter 2, it's, it's so painful, this aspect of how God deals with us, and yet we, we need it so desperately. It, it, it's our hope that God will do whatever it takes to keep us and preserve us for himself. Amen? Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this story of Jonah and how we see your faithfulness. Lord, we, I know we chafe sometimes at your severe mercy, but Lord, would you do what it takes in us to bring us back if we're wandering? Would you do what it takes to conform us to the image of your Son? And would you help us, Lord, to respond just with with desperate prayer and and humble confidence in your goodness and your grace toward us we pray in jesus name amen